0: So we're in Joshua eight today and kind of this is the main idea. How do we begin to pick up the pieces in our life after significant failure? How do we, after falling short of God's glory in sin, how do we begin to take next steps? Where do we begin? These are the questions that face an entire nation. An entire nation faces these questions. The nation of Israel, God's holy people, they are trying to pick up the pieces after a devastating sin entered their camp. Achan, one man, took from God the devoted things that were God's in the destruction of Jericho. Achan took what was not his but what was the Lord's and he took it from the city of Jericho and hid it in his tent and continued to hide and God would not have it. And so justice was given to Achan and his family, justice that was harsh. And then the nation of Israel begins to try to pick up the pieces of what was a humiliating loss to the hands of an inferior opponent in AI, and after being judged and humbled in front of God himself. Today we see their next steps. And so my prayer has been this week, as we talked about a really heavy subject last week, as we talked about Achan and the devastating uh, destruction that happens in hidden sin, the consequences that comes from hidden sin. When we sin and then we hide it and we continue in it, that I was praying that we would heed that warning to understand those consequences, that we would understand and not believe the lie of sin that says a little won't hurt, people won't know And others won't suffer. That we would reject that as a lie, that's not true because a little will hurt, people will know, and others most assuredly will suffer. We as a church, we will rise and fall together as a congregation based upon our pursuits after a holy God. In us, removing ourselves from sinful lifestyles by keeping one another accountable, we will rise and fall together. Our church will not be, our success as a church will not be found with more people in our seats. We're not interested in that. We're not going to be, success is not defined by better programs or better classes, by more robust social justice programs. Our success will rise and fall with our pursuit of a holy God, both corporately and in individually. And we have seen just this week the devastation that sin has on God's church. If you saw the news reports that came out of Chicago of Harvest Bible Church, their leader has a face of just a great teacher, but underneath hidden was a man that was greedy and anger and abusive towards his staff and people and it has devastated and wrecked that church. We, as a church, make no mistake about it, we will rise and fall together. And so that's why I say, like, judge me, right? <laughs> Hold me accountable, please, if you love me. And so that's been my prayer this week. And in that prayer, my, my hope is that we would confess those things like Achan did in, face, in the face of even deadly consequences. Achan confessed, I have sinned that we would begin to seek new desires, to be accountable, and we would seek God's mercy. And what is of profound beauty of our Lord, what's profoundly beautiful about our gracious Lord is His ability by the richness of His graces, that if we come before Him and confess, forsake it, what we have done, whatever it is, and walk away from it, that in His grace, in His mercy, in in His love, that we are no longer condemned, we are no longer guilty, we are free to move towards Christ without spiritual consequence. Now, that doesn't mean that your, earthly, your sin will not have earthly consequences that you're going to have to deal with. It just means that as far as with Jesus, the debt has been paid. That's the beauty of our, our Lord. He can take the most wicked sin, the most hurtful things in our life, and, and through His grace and mercy, He can bring great glory to His name as we humble ourselves in front of them. And we will come to find out this in life. We will come out to find that our greatest victories in the Lord often come after our greatest failures. Last week we said that our greatest setbacks often come after our greatest victories. The inverse is true with our Lord because of how amazing he is, how powerful he is at redeeming things. God can take our dirtiest sin our filthiest failures and make them shining lights of glory for his name but it all hinges on what we do in defeat what we do after failure will we humble ourselves and say these words I have sinned against you God I have sinned or will we say not me them they they caused this on me will we convince ourselves it's somebody else will we be blinded or will we own it? That's our choice. I love these words from a guy named F.W. Robertson. He was a a British Bible teacher, and I'll just go ahead and refuse the desire to speak in a British accent right here, because it's easy for me to want to do that. But he lived around 1850. He was teaching at Wake Forest, Uh, around the time of the civil war and he was giving a series of lectures on the book of Joshua and he said this right after the fall of Achan in one of his uh, uh, his lectures this is his quote he said this life like war is a series of mistakes and he is not the best Christian nor the best general who make the fewest false steps Poor mediocrity may secure that. But he is the best who wins the most splendid victories by the retrieval of mistakes. Forget mistakes. Organize victories out of mistakes. And so, friend, quite frankly to you, as long as we remain in this broken world with broken flesh, we will have failure as a constant partner. But rather than just minimizing it and accepting it, let us who trust in Christ see the beauty of a life that leverages it to redefine, repattern, and renew our lives through his strength. Because failure isn't failure when it's leveraged by a cosmic God for the growth of his people and the glory of his name. And so let's lean in our text today in Joshua 8 and see what we find in wisdom here. Starting in verse 1, just verses 1 and 2 here today, says this, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed, taking all the fighting men with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See that I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourself. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. And so immediately after the devastation of the sin of Achan, God's anger turns away from the nation of Israel. And what is the first thing that God says to his people? The first thing he says to Joshua, he says, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Out of the depths of embarrassment, Joshua, in dealing with the issue of sin, in dealing with it in front of God, that embarrassment is turned to encouragement that the sun has come out after the thunderstorm, that harmony has been restored. What a nature that our God has. What a nature that our God has that when we earnestly deal with the failure of sin in our life, that instead of condemnation that he would be just in giving us, what we can find is encouragement. We find mercy and assurance. That's of great comfort to me. And so in this text, God confirms his favor on his people. He reveals to them, much like Jericho, hey, look guys, it's yours. I've handed you the city, everything in it. And then God lays out this battle plan. It's an ambush. This time, the victory is going to be decisive. He's not going to mess around here. He wants total victory. And so he gives Joshua this battle plan. And then for the next 30 verses in Joshua 8, it lays out the setup, the attack, and the aftermath Math of the second battle of AI. And so as I read this text this week over and over, I just thought it would be more uh, beneficial for us, for me to illustrate how this attack worked out, because I think that there, uh, in surmising it, there are things that we can learn from the way that God attacked AI here. And so it it says this in chapter 8, as I head over to the board today. I love going over to the board. Uh, Don't have my professor's coat on today. But it says this in chapter 8, that Joshua... Uh, is to take all the men, all right? And this is in direct contradiction to what happened in the first attack, right? Overconfident men said, hey, just a few. We just need a few thousand. No, God says all. I want everybody. I don't want to leave any doubt. And so Joshua has this plan of an ambush where he takes 30,000 men and he brings them in behind the city to set up an ambush. Now, Joshua calls these 30,000 men, I love the word records that they're the mighty men of valor, right? What a name that is, right? Who doesn't want that on a resume? Oh, I see that you're part of the, the mighty men of valor here. Tell me about that. Oh, I'd love to tell you about that. Okay. So we'll call these the MMV, right? The special forces, the mighty men of valor. And then that's on the first night. So by the cover of night, these men go and take position. And then on the second day, Joshua takes his main force, doo, 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 and he takes them up here, and he puts them on a ravine. And he, he puts them on a ravine with a valley between Ai, this is Ai, and his men. And most experts believe that Joshua is hiding his men up here. He's hiding his men up here. And on that night of the second day, The night of the second day, Joshua sends another party of 5,000 men to wait in ambush between Bethel and Ai. And in that night, it says that Joshua heads to the valley to sleep. And so Joshua goes down in the valley here, and he's doing this to be noticed. As dawn comes, watchmen from the city of Ai notice that Joshua's down there. They alert the king, and it begins. The king alerts his army, and at that very moment, Joshua's army comes out onto the field in the same manner in which they came out the very first battle. And seeing that, the king of Ai reacts the same way, and he brings his men out. Joshua's men then begin to charge up this incline, and then they turn, like they did in the first battle. And in that moment, the king of Ahab, Ai sends all of his men out of the city towards Jericho, or towards the men of Israel. And then Bethel, the town of Bethel, sees this chance for a great victory, and they come sprinting in to save the day, right? And then in that moment, the trap springs open. Joshua's mighty men come in and begin to destroy the city. They set it ablaze, the nation of Ai sees it. They stop. They turn, and then Joshua turns his army around. The men from the city who had destroyed it come fleeing out. The ambush group here between Bethel and Ai turn, and they're stuck. This is brilliant. Like if there was a Hall of Fame of military tactic, this is beautiful. It says in that day that twelve thousand men, women died. It is a complete and utter victory. 12,000 people perished on this battlefield because of God's layout of an ambush. And to memorialize it, to memorialize what happened, God says, I want you to build an altar for me. And that's what we see at the end of Joshua 8 in verse 30. It says this, at that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the Lord God of Israel on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings, and there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which had been written." And so Moses had kind of commanded this in Deuteronomy 27, long before uh, the nation of Israel entered the promised land that they would need to set up a, a altar at Mount Ebal, and that they would have to write the scripture, write the law on that altar. They would have to read the entire law to the whole nation. So know this, the whole nation is gathered here on this mountain, uh, and, and Joshua is reading the law. He's reading the curses uh, of the law. What God is doing is revealing his desire that the nation of Israel would remember that they must be obedient to the whole. All of it, he reminds them. A clear and total victory. God is then going to remind them look, for this to go well with us, you need to be obedient. And so this sort of completes a cycle. This is a cycle of the nation of Israel. It completes a cycle, a cycle that began in Joshua 1 and ended in Joshua 8. And listen, it will be a cycle in which we will see for the rest of Scripture with the nation of Israel. And this is what that cycle looks like. This is the cycle. It's Obedience followed by victory. Joshua, nation of Israel, completely obedient. They cross over the Jordan River. They listen to the plan that God has for Jericho. Hey, I'm going to parade you around. You're not going to take it militarily. I'm going to knock the walls down. Obey me. Victory. Victory followed by blessing. After the walls of Jericho fall, the Israelites are famous in the land. Joshua is famous in the land. People are just saying things that are incredible about them. And then after that blessing, what do we see? Blessing followed by pride and disobedience. Isn't that true? I am so good. Pride and disobedience. Achan takes devoted things, right? And in that disobedience, it's followed by defeat, Ai, routed. Routed in the first battle of Ai. And after that defeat, what we see is judgment. Achan punished for his sin. The wrath against him was poured out into a whole nation. And then from that judgment, we see repentance. Joshua rips his clothes ashes on his head the whole nation repenting and that repentance produces what obedience i messed it god obedient to you and then from obedience what do we see victory here at ai the cycle begins over and over this is a cycle of the nation and i would say this this is a cycle that's written in your history as well this is the cycle that's written in your history as well we use this big word sometimes called sanctification. It's our growth towards Christ, that every day we are to grow and look more and more like Jesus. This is the cycle in which it happens. For you and I, it's different. Thanks be to Christ. It's different because the judgment that we see in this nation is not present for us. And it's not present for us because of the scandalous life, and grace, and mercy Christ, who takes our sin and our disobedience, God pours all of his wrath onto who? Christ, not onto you. Christ takes our judgment. So our cycle gets to look like this. Death followed by repentance. Or defeat followed by repentance. This is our cycle. Now, I'm not going to tell you that this is... This is a principle that happens every time. God's not predictable. Our ways aren't his ways, right? But this is Christian growth in a nutshell, falling short of the glory of God, right? Walking in that cycle. Until your driveways are made of gold someday in eternity, you will always be in this cycle. Always. We have to learn that. And so as we look back at the defeat of AI, there are some thoughts that I want to pull out for us that speak well to what it looks like to regain lost ground after failure. And so the first thought is this, is that failure creates one of two attitudes. It either creates hunger for the Lord or apathy for the Lord. It either creates hunger for the Lord or apathy for the Lord. The moment that Aiken created a scenario where the whole nation of Israel was routed because of his sin at Ai proved to be a pivotal moment in the leadership of Joshua and for the whole nation. The nation of Israel, it says that they were filled with fear. Their hearts melted like water. Just, ah! Joshua in that moment, could have leaned into the fear and anxiety of what was in front of him. He could have fallen away from God, or he could have stood up and owned it, poured out his heart to the Lord, examined himself, and began to walk in the wisdom of the Lord. Joshua chose the latter, and ultimately God's mercy was restored to the nation. His favor comes back, and listen, you and I, we face the same choice in our failure, in our falling short of the glory of God, in our setbacks, in things that don't go our way. We will either allow God to leverage it, to grow us deeper in Him, to grow ourselves, to change who we are, to be different, to learn, and then to hunger after God's wisdom and grace and mercy, to change our condition, or we will, in pride, the pride that the Lord detests, he hates, we will begin to rationalize failure as the fault of something or someone else's and begin to see failure as obstacles to my stability, my peace, and my happiness instead of seeing it as a vehicle of growth. And we will walk away from it because we believe ain't nobody got time for it. I got no time for failure. And it's sad because we will miss opportunities in our life that the Lord wants to use to grow us into the people that he's created us to be for the purposes that he's designed us for. It's sad when we walk away from failure because the Lord has plans for it. We humble ourselves in our failure and we hunger after him because there's always a new day. Think about our marriages those who are are married. Maybe you have heated discussions in your marriages. I'm sure that never happens to people in this room. But in those scenarios, in those moments, we can either own what we can, which is the Christian response, owning what we can, not every scenario is 100% somebody else's fault, owning what we can and seeking the Lord in his wisdom of where we have fallen short, and through his grace and his mercy, desiring something different, or, or, which happens, we can pin all of it onto our spouse and create scenarios where we believe that our spouses are just keeping us from being happy. Keeping me from being happy, they're an obstacle to my happiness, and we can grow apathetic to the oneness that the scriptures write about for marriage, the oneness of a committed relationship in Christ that allows failure and growth to happen because of who Jesus is and us owning our stuff. Two attitudes, hunger or apathy. Which do we lean into? And I want you to know it's informed by this thought. The second thought is this, is that failure in God doesn't undo what God has promised It doesn't undo what God has promised. Just because you failed and sinned and fallen short doesn't mean it's over. In Christ, we have new mercies. This setback in Achan, sure, Achan, his life was taken, but it did not undo the promise that God had for the nation of Israel to give them the land that he promised them, the land of milk and honey. God made a promise to them, and he saw it through. What is the first thing that God said to Joshua? The first thing afterwards, do not fear, do not be dismayed, I am with you. And the same is true for us who trust in Christ. Those of us who are committed to Christ, he has made promises to you promises to you that you can take to the bank. Like 1 John says this, that if we are faithful to confess our sin, that our Lord is faithful to forgive them, he will remove our unrighteousness. In Philippians 2, it says, I am confident of this, that the God who began a good work in you will see it through to completion in the day of Christ. Why are we still groveling in our failures? get up, beloved. Get up. Who taught you that the cross of Christ could forgive the sins of the world except for yours? That's foolishness. There are realities in our life where we are stuck in guilt simply because we haven't made the things right in our lives in our sin. Meaning this, we have horizontal sin that we've sinned against our neighbors, against people that we are not owning, that we're not taking care of. But if it's a sin against, but as far as with God, in your confession, in your repentance, it's dealt with. There is no condemnation in Christ. There is no guilt to be found in Christ. Get up. That shame is not yours to hold. He took it. It hasn't undone what he's promised to his people. The third thing is that victory in God, it must be total, and listen, it's often creative. It must be total, and it's often created. Joshua's army destroyed everything and everyone in Bethel and Ai, except for the spoils and the livestock. Those went to Joshua and the nation. Now, think about this. How bad does Achan's sin look now? If he would have waited days, a week, the Lord would have blessed him with all the things that he wanted. He would have blessed him, but in his sin, he just got ahead of himself. Look, we have to believe that our God is a rewarder. The word says that you must believe that God is a rewarder. (laughs) How silly does Achan look now? And this is a total victory that is a total victory. It's not partial, it's not sort of, it's not kind of, we got all of it, all of it, total. God does not settle for anything less than all. He doesn't settle for anything less than all of your sin. He doesn't settle for anything less than all of your failure. He wants total victory. And if God is unwilling to settle, we as his followers cannot settle as well. That cycle of a nation, that cycle of growth, it is a rinse, wash, repeat. Over and over and over again, we never settle. We make war against our sin. We never settle because he wants to redeem all of our failures, all of our sin for his glory. It's not an option for us. We consistently must push on towards him, away from sin, away from it a life that doesn't reflect him. Now, notice how God brings total victory here. He sets up this cunning ambush plan. He sets up this plan that is just different than the first time that they attacked. And what I want you to notice is that he uses some of the same tactics because he knows the enemy is going to be predictable here. What happens here? He sets up the same kind of battle feel as the first battle of Ai when he sends his soldiers into this field and the king of Ai responds very much in the same way. And then he turns his army around and what does the king of Ai do? Same predictable way, follows them and then the trap was set. Joshua knew his enemy was predictable. And listen, much like Joshua's enemy, our enemy operates with the same predictability. Listen, you don't war against flesh and blood. We are not enemies of one another. We war against the rulers and the authorities, the cosmic powers of the present ages of darkness, it's the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are not each other's enemies, but we have an enemy that's predictable. Your enemy knows how to attack you. Your enemy knows your buttons for me for years. It was the same thing. You're not good enough. Nobody likes you. It's going to fail. Did it ever deviate from that? Same thing. And I desire to change, but my tactics never did. And what's that line said? That if you're going to do the same things, why do you expect different results? Listen, our Lord's a creative Lord. He has given us an abundance of tools and mercies and riches and grace to have total victory in our lives. Why are we trying to do the same things to defeat the things that have been killing us? You have a creative God. If we are trying to do the same things to defeat the enemy in our lives, you really don't want victory. You kind of want it, but you don't really want it. Be creative here. Confess your sins to one another. I know that sounds foolish, but build a plan with people. Build a plan that will attack the enemy in his predictable assaults to you. You have his permission to do it. And the last thing that I want to bring to you in thought is that victory is God's to own and yours to claim. Like, look, it's just not you. (laughs) Let's just get, if one thing I will say to the end of my days is like, you're just never going to be good enough to deal with the sin in your life, you can't through effort, you can't through struggling and trying. It has to be through the Lord, and he has granted you the victory. If if Christ died on the cross, he did it because he needed to atone for your sin, he needed to deal with your sin, which means this, you couldn't. So quit doing it. He has the victory, you get to claim it. The reason that that, uh, Joshua is to take this altar of Uncut stones, it says, not touched by an iron tool of a human hand, is to make his people remember, no human did this. I did this. You are not responsible for this. You get to claim it, but I will do it. I love that about our Lord. You get a victory that's already granted to you. You get to claim it. You did nothing to earn it. He did it for you. So victory in God is his to own and ours to claim. So just a few thoughts to wrap up here. What great news is it, guys? What great news is it for us that in our failure, that it will not be our demise? That doesn't mean that we just continue to walk in them like, oh, willy-nilly. It just means that when we do, as we strive to follow him, because of the grace of our king and the mercies of his love, and falling short of God, he's dealt with it. And we can use those failures to lever, leverage growth and character in our lives for his glory and our benefit. What a great God that we have to take something so heinous like the sin of Achan and restore hope to his people and he can do the same thing for you wherever you're at. Don't believe that he can't. He will. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you today, and we thank you that that you are a God of forgiveness, that you are a God of mercy, that, Lord, you would be just in your holiness to just give us condemnation and wrath, but out of your great character, Lord, and who you are, you give us grace and mercies that are beyond our understanding. And so, Lord, will you help us to get up in our failures, to walk into your wisdom, to expose ourselves to you, Lord, to confess it, and, Lord, to believe with all of our hearts that you've dealt with it, that there are new mercies for us every day, that we can walk in victory even though we have failed, not because of ourselves and our efforts, but only because of Christ. And it's in his name, Lord, in Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen.